So that's Jeremiah chapter 29 and verses 1 to 19. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets and all the other people. Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the Queen Mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem. The skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisha, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me, And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You may... Say, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. But this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all the people who remain in this city, your fellow citizens who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword, famine and plague against them and I will make them like figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. They cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with the sword, famine and plague and will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth, a curse and an object of horror, of scorn and reproach, among all the nations where I drive them. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord. Declares the Lord. Words that I sent to them again and again by my servants the prophets, and you ever exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. Let's just pray as David comes up to to speak to us. Lord, we just give you thanks for the reading of your word this morning. We thank you for the freedom that we have to be able to read your word publicly in this place. 
Lord, we just thank you for the message that David is to bring to us now. Father, we just pray that you will just give him confidence and peace as he declares your word. Bless him, bless us, Lord, we pray. Open our ears. Lord, open our minds. Lord, more so, open our hearts to be receptive to your word this morning. Amen. Oh, you're exiles in a foreign land, are you? There we are then. Welcome to the club. Thank you. This, I, I'm uh, finishing off Jeremiah, if you know what I mean. Living in a, as exiles. We've been looking at Jeremiah and uh, seeing how the people of God live in a post-Christian, pagan, sometimes anti-Christian, godless society. Now, you might think I'm not being flattering, and I, I could paint the picture better than that, but those are, for many of us, increasingly the trends. And uh, that uh, we've been reminded of the, na- of the need, like Jeremiah, to be faithful and word-centered and being true to what the Scripture in order to survive. Uh, and therefore, that, that's the question this morning. Given secularization, pluralism, given the trends within society in Britain today, how do we live? H- how do we survive? <laughs> how do we prosper? That If the, the picture is a right one, that uh, seasons for the church where being a Christian is really cool and popular, uh, that's, like, that's like summer. <laughs> can't remember what summer's like but apparently that that's summer and uh, as as the culture of the society changes and becomes more intolerant of a christian position that's autumn and uh, where, when the church is under the heel of an anti-christian regime that's winter and whether we are in autumn or heading into winter how do we live what is what are our prospects? Uh, Waleswide and I spoke about. I'll mention that a little bit later. But I, that's who I, I work with. It's a network for church planting and strengthening. And uh, I, we did some research a year or so ago, and I, I have this vivid memory. It, it, it just kind of oh, I, I was talking to a pastor in in West Wales, and just asking him how things were and how he saw the prospects. And uh, yeah, he'd, he'd just seen all the years he'd been in ministry in this church, just the whole thing just slowly disappearing. And, uh, and uh, it, was, it was just his final word. He said, Navi Deglois in There'll be no church in the future. There will be no church in the future. And there was a kind of, ah. Now, in the northern suburbs of Cardiff, that that's not an imminent threat, maybe. But we could go for a walk across Wales today and see where that is already the reality. So what does Jeremiah have to say to us? Well, he's uh, the letter that we've that Tony's just read to us, five nine four BC, five nine four, pretty pretty much round, uh, about three years, five nine seven was when the the, the, the Nebuchadnezzar and his forces had taken Jerusalem and carted off the middle class and the, upper, the kings 
and the craftsmen uh, and the people that they would thought would be of any use whatsoever in Babylon, 597 carted off to Babylon. So this is three years after Nebuchadnezzar had torn down the city walls, trashed the temple and carted off anybody that was any use to anybody, more or less. That there'd been a, 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 an, an earlier move. They'd come and taken the creme that uh, they, Daniel had already gone. That was about 605. So then, eight years later, the major shift out, and uh, what was left in Jerusalem was a, a sorry state, but they still had a chap who called himself king, Zedekiah. Yeah, bit bold to put that term on it, but he, he liked the title. And uh, Jeremiah is still living in Jerusalem. And uh, th- there are these prophets that were referred to in the reading who'd kind of raising hope. Don't worry. Because Hananiah, in the previous chapter, if, if you read chapter 28, you got the, one of these prophets saying, oh, it'll never happen. Nebuchadnezzar, he, it's not going to happen. You're a doom merchant, Zer- J- Jeremiah. That uh, God will protect us. Things will be fine. Fine. Peace, peace. And, of course, he was completely wrong. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar did come, cart him off. Um, but still, the, the prophets of hope, the false prophets of hope, are, are saying that, oh, yeah, yeah, it did happen, but they'll be back. Um, you know, kind of peace by Christmas kind of t- uh, ideas. And that Jeremiah is responding to those who are giving false hopes. And verse 10, not 70 years. Not just you are going to be in Babylon, your kids are going to be in Babylon, and their kids. It'll be your grandchildren before anybody sees this place. And if you like, things get back to normal. Uh, and therefore, the verse, I think Phil made reference to this, that uh, the, these are, you know, plans are happy, plans for good and, uh, and, and not for evil, to give you a few, because, you know, that... Actually, what Jeremiah is saying, that this isn't for you, that you're going to be under judgment for two generations. Your grandchildren might walk into those plans for good, but you've got plans for judgment, trial in Babylon. So you can take the verse, if you like, put it on your fridge. But, and maybe we're not, well, we're not under judgment as they were, are they? But the, the, and the, I, 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 I asked Tony to, to read on to verse 19, because where it says, you know, you're going to be like some old figs that have gone rotten. Remember those encouraging verses? I don't, don't sing them in choruses very much. Um, but uh, the, the, this is actually, what was it, 594, and Jeremiah's saying, it's not just, not just, are you not coming back? But Nebuchadnezzar's coming again, 587. There were three exilic movements, and the third time he came, he just trashed the place because this Zedekiah revolted, and, Jerry, and Nebuchadnezzar just came and said, okay, no king, clear the place out. And Jeremiah, as if, you, if, you, if you've read the book, no, he just legged it with, the, with those that could out to Egypt. So he's now writing saying, don't believe these ideas that it's all going to be over by Christmas or whatever. He's saying, you've got to settle down. You've got to get used to some new realities. You've got to adjust. 
the world has changed. And that's where we can key in that we are not living where Wales was and the UK was 100 years. The world has changed. So how, how do we adjust to it? How do we understand it? Well, it's not like Jerusalem now. Don't expect Jerusalem now. Don't forget Jerusalem now. So when you've heard the three of those, you know that the coffee's coming. It's not going to be like Jerusalem. They, they'd moved. Imagine now. You, you've grown up in Jerusalem. The temple has always been there. You, you did the stuff. You, you went and worshipped. You did your sacrifices. When you heard children singing in the street, they were singing in Hebrew. The, the, the atmosphere, it was Jewish. It, it, was, it was familiar. It, it was home. And the majority of the people were like you. And so obviously they're the nice people. That, 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 that's where I, I feel as if I'm with the people I'm comfortable with. But suddenly they're among a strange people. In a strange land, in a strange culture, with a strange language, with odd beliefs and funny smells, and everything's alien suddenly. Everything's unfamiliar. Things are just a little bit threatening, and people are suspicious of you. Didn't used to be like that in Jerusalem. People seem a little bit prejudiced, and you are now a minority. You used to be the, the vast majority. You used to be able to vote and call the shots. But now you are a minority and things are just not kosher at all. I mean, it it's all feels wrong, doesn't it? And you're just longing for home. You, you, you're longing for how it used to be, for the familiar. So when everybody was like us. When people thought like us, when, when, when you felt comfortable and secure, those old certainties, and you're longing for those old certainties. There, there's something of that in the psalmist, uh, familiar verse, by the waters of Babylon. This is a psalm from the exile. This is expressing what it's like when you're living in exile in a foreign land, when it just doesn't feel like home anymore. By the waters of Babylon there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our, our lyres, for there our captors required us songs of Zion. How can we sing the song of the Lord in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy... Is, is a people remembering how it used to be and yearning and feeling now out of their depth, uncut. I, I don't know how often, you know, we've been on, I don't go on holiday very often over the channel, uh, rather go to Scotland for different reasons. But, um, the, you know, I, have you ever broken down in Barcelona or, or somewhere? Have you? We once went to the Alps and the thing gave up on us. And, you you know, you can't talk to anybody. You haven't got the phone numbers you wanted to have. Have you ever, that nightmare, losing your wallet in Warsaw? Have you ever done that? 
Have you? And how, how do I contact Barclay Card? Um, they, they, they won't accept pounds sterling. And uh, or, or have you got lost in Leningrad? You know, that, that, that cold feeling of this is alien. It was okay as long as I could cope. I was pushing the margins a bit. But now, yeah, you mean that? You, you understand that? Just the emotion of being in a place where you'd rather not be. Well, welcome to Wales, <laughs> or welcome to Babylon, in post-Christian Britain. The, the Irish referendum, it, it was a kind of a, <clears throat> wasn't it? I mean, because Christian biblical values, not that the Irish were always terribly strong on those, but that just kind of swept away. And I, I don't doubt if we'd had the same kind of referendum that the same thing would have happened here. And uh, we know Christian Christianity. Oh, great. How, how was your weekend? Which church did you go to? I mean, that's not the conversation in the office on Monday morning. I don't know if you've seen the Tear Fund um, research. It's 2007, so it's a few years now, but... I would say that it's got worse than this, that uh, the, 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 there was a poll. I don't know what the sample was, but it, the, the, it's the percentages, percentages that are helpful for us in terms of how we live in Babylon. At regular church, now this includes anybody that goes to, to church on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve or Easter, those people, the people, the, the onces, not once a Sunday, once a year. That they are, they were classed as regular churchgoers. It, people that go to the Mormon temple or to the Jehovah's Witnesses, whatever that is, and or Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, everybody. If you go, however regularly in a year, you are a regular churchgoer. In Wales, twelve percent. Fringe church, I don't know what that means. Funerals, two percent. Occasional churchgoers, six percent. But it's the lower numbers that are... Uh, the de-churched are the people that used to go, but don't go anymore. Used to have a connection, haven't got a connection anymore. De-churched open are people that say, well, I, I don't go anymore, but I might if you ask me. I, if there was something and I thought, mm, I might, I might, I might. De-churched closed are people say, I used to go. I used to have a link and no way. No way. The highest percentage in the UK of de-church closed is in Wales. The, the unchurched, the unchurched open, one in a hundred. Well, no, I've never been. Don't anything about it. If the coffee's good and uh, I get a prize, I might go. Um, I've never been. I never will. I'm not interested. Don't ask me. 26. A quarter of the population, more or less, are saying, I've never been and I never will. And half the population, nearly, are saying, I used to go and I never will again. Now, that, that you know, welcome to Wales. Um, but that's the situation where we are currently. That, that's why I encourage you, and I encourage you last time, to pray for these places. 
because post-Christendom has arrived on the places on the wall. That, that, that there are a, a, an occasional vicar who loves the Lord and preaches, but you couldn't say that there's a church. That these places are gospel barren. Secularism and a new start has to come. The, the problem, when, when in the early church and people said, ah, oh, can I explain Christianity to you? People said, oh, what's that? Whereas today, can I explain Christianity? Oh, no, no, no. No, we tried that. We, we've moved on from that. that. That's in the past. So, welcome to Babylon. Trust you feeling at home. In post-Christian, anti-Christian, alien to Christian. And we have to adjust. That, uh, According to verse 4, it was the Lord that brought us here. I think there are some good things about being here. I, that I'll come to that later. But we do have to adjust to it. The, the, I, I remember somebody saying to me, Oh, do you know, David, deep down in every Welshman, I don't know why he said this to an Englishman, I'm not sure. But he said, um, deep down in every Welshman is a residue of the revival just waiting to pop out. No, there isn't. People do not wake up in Thornhill and feel bad because they don't go to church anymore. In fact, they never even think about it. And one of the problems, you see, do you remember guest services? And uh, it, 30 years ago, there was a Christian fringe of people who had lapsed and wished they hadn't. That fringe is a lot smaller than it was to, than it is a lot smaller today. And uh, seeker-friendly places might work in Chicago and, and in L.A., but the, it's, it's well-known, documented, worldwide statistics show that in Paul, growing church by attraction or invitation doesn't there are marginal where relationships have been connected, but there, 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 is a, there is a reality check. We have to adjust to Babylon. Welcome to Babylon. The people out there are suspicious of the people in here, uh, and unless we've lived the gospel and spoken the gospel credibly. So that's the first thing. That where we are is not like Jerusalem. The, the second is don't expect Jerusalem. But, but by that I mean this. You see, Hananiah had come, this is the previous chapter, and said, oh, it won't happen. It happened. And then these other guys, Ahab and Zephaniah, if you read on to the end of the chapter, oh, it won't last long. Yep, it did last long. And, the, and so, in other words, there's, there's no opt-out out of Babylon. That we, we can't kind of bunkering down. I remember talking to a missionary in West Africa, and he was talking about a colleague of his who was a missionary too, Guinea-Bissau, I think. And, uh, and he said that, that, that and he was, a, he was a, a, a chippy, a carpenter, before he went. And, and so when he got to onto the mission field. He built his own house and made lots of teak 
I mean, teak grew in the bottom of the garden. So why wouldn't you have a polished teak dining table and, and all of that? And he, he, he drew the contrast between how he had settled and another missionary who, I, I, I'm not from here, I'm a missionary here, and he lived out of his chests. The, this, he, he, he never actually emptied the, the boxes that everything came in. He even used one of them as his dining table. In other words, living with a sense of this isn't permanent, that, and therefore I don't need to settle, I, I don't need to adjust and make this my home. And here Jeremiah is saying that we have to do the former we have to settle down. Let, 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 let's, let's just read again, verse 4 to 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, one each, and have sons and daughters. Take, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Do not notice that. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for it is in its welfare that you will find your welfare. I, I, I'm grateful for Tony for the dandelion um, because it, it, it epitomizes how we need to live in an alien world. Oh, there it is. Um, that uh, one of the things that we've done in Wales, I've, I've got a poster for Thornhill. For the, I don't know who gets permission to, but it's my favourite weed. You, I, I mean, when I'm talking about the gospel, apparently Liz isn't very keen on them in the garden, but for, for today's purpose, this is our favourite weed. That This says very well how we need to live in, in, in exile in a post, we just got to go everywhere, living and speaking the gospel. And if we don't go everywhere, living and speaking the gospel, our invitations for people to come in here and grow as Christians probably were becoming increasingly ineffective. But thanks, Tony. This is the model. We are to be a people who just spread the gospel everywhere, serving, blessing, settling, and growing. More about that in a minute. Because that, that, and I, I suppose the more you get into Welsh Wales, the stronger this is. There's, a, there, there's just a longing to turn the clock back. And for things to be as they were. And there is a myth. I'm sorry, I have to, I'm, outset, I'm going to upset somebody for this. I pray for revival every day. Please understand me. Every day, I pray that God would visit us again by his spirit. So I, I'm, I'm not saying that God can't. But to think that, well, in 1904, that there was a, a golden mist that came down and everybody felt bad and ran into chapel... And uh, if we pray for revival, that God will do it again, just like them. They'll all find black suits from somewhere and uh, coal dust on their faces. And they'll, they'll, all, they'll, all, they'll have to be quick because the buildings where they were rushing into are falling down are being turned into supermarkets. But the, 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 the idea that actually 
that what we want is business as usual. There is no business as usual. We have to become like dandelions. We're in Babylon. We have to integrate. And actually, this is pretty much what the New Testament did anyway, isn't it? I mean, the Roman Empire at that point wasn't particularly Christian, was it? Well, their garden parties were. They stuck people on poles, covered them in pitch, and set them alight. That was how Christian the Roman world was at the time. But the words of Jesus, blessed are you when others revile you. This is sounding like Babylon. And persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? If it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That uh, we, we, we are in it to win it, aren't we? We are just a bunch of dandelions. And, and how encouraging that we are in it and that we will benefit by being salt and light and that in itself will come back and benefit the church. Now, if you can just flick me on to the last of the slides. That one. That one. Uh, the... I'm going to have to explain this, so ju- just if it's boring, you know, it'll only take two minutes and then w- w- we'll move on. As the outcome of the research we, in Waleswide, we categorise six approaches to how we do mission. I'll start at the bottom. The liberals, who, who are just saying, well, you know, you just have to work in the... Se- there's no message. There's no gospel. You ju- it's a social gospel. You just have to tell people what to do. Now... The, the, percentages, the percentages are these. How many of these churches saw any additions between 2000 and the year 2010? How many of these churches actually saw new people added? Now, 18% of those that had no message saw people added, but they lost so many that every single church in Wales that had a liberal approach to theology, declined in the decade. There wasn't one that grew. Then there were the emergence. And at the beginning of the decade, there were those who said, oh, I've got to read a contemporary, read Brian McLaren, it's all cool. Um, (laughs) Sorry. And the idea, well, we got a message, but we hide it so well that people get to know us, and then they're surprised to hear that we had a message at all. We've got to be really cool um, anyway, that uh, they didn't do too well. That most of the denominational ch- who said, "Yeah, we do have a message, but social action is the key thing." And maybe after we've been doing social action, maybe somebody will ask a question and we'll be able to slot in the gospel. Well, twenty-seven percent of those churches um, had seen people added over the 10 years. Um, Lausanne believes, this is the teaching of Lausanne, that you've got the gospel evangelism and you've got mission. And the two are separate, 
but you do both and you hope that the one has a spin-off on the other and that as a result, good result, 41% of those churches had seen people added over the decade. Evangelistic one, the people say, we're not into a social gospel. We're not running affairs for the community. We're not the social services. We preach the gospel. We preach the gospel in the open air. We preach the gospel from door to door. We, we do all kinds of gospel things, but we're not as an agent of the social services because they didn't have bridges. They didn't do well either. Those are the facts. These are the statistics. 350 churches responded and 80 leaders were interviewed. So the, 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 the sample was quite good. The evangelistic two of these people, yeah, we will do food bank. We, we will do CAP, Christians Against Poverty, Debt Counselling. We will do furniture recycling. We will run centres, but we will put the gospel on the front edge. We won't hide the gospel. We won't have people coming in thinking, oh, they're just nice people. No, no. We, we, will, we will be salt and light. We will tell of Jesus. We will intentionally put the gospel in everything we do, those churches, Three quarters of them. So, and there is a parallel. You can go back to the text now. If you go back to the first one, that there is a parallel here that actually serving, loving, caring not only benefits the community, but if the gospel is in it, that man's greatest need, there is a fate worse than death, and that's dying without Christ. So, it. it if the greatest need is included in responding to all the other needs, that's what the repayback is, if you like, in Babylon. And it, it's, it's a funny thing, isn't it? I, it's almost countercultural for us to think, oh, we're going to be here. Tony, we're going to be here, you and I, for 70 years. I, I'm lying. We'll be in heaven in 70 years, looking at you. <laughs> but let, you know, let, let's just pretend for a minute that we are going to be here for 70 years. So how do we, how, what's the plan then? How do we take the gospel to Babylon? We're going to be doing it for 70, Jerusalem will come, that we, God will restore us. We, we, he has plans for good and not to harm us, plans for give us a future and a hope, but not yet. We're here for now. How are we going to do it? So, it's, it's not like Jerusalem. Don't expect Jerusalem. But briefly, and importantly, two things. Don't forget Jerusalem. It, it was critical for the exiles living in Babylon to know that it won't be long. I, I, I wonder, you know, that uh, they, they were now, what was it, three years in, three years in. I, I wonder if they kind of marked it on the wall and three had been crossed off and there were 67 to go. You know, how many more sleeps, Daddy, before we're back in Jerusalem? And it's, it's, it's an obvious point, but a very, very important point. If we are living in Babylon... We are not here forever. 
This place is not our home. God has plans for us for good and not for evil to give you and I a future and a hope. We're going to heaven. We're, going, we're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching up to Zion. Well, I forget where the verse finishes now. Doesn't matter. So that, that's the first thing to say that we need to, and that's the point of verse 13. We need to live here knowing about them. But we, we need to live here, and I've thought this, I don't know if this has occurred to you when you've been listening to Jeremiah these last few weeks. Je- that Jeremiah says in the letter, and don't decrease. Grow and don't decrease. One of the dangers of thinking about living in winter, oh, it's going to be horrible. Um, oh, don't expect God to do very much. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He says, while you're in Babylon, grow. It was God who brought you into Babylon. Verse 6, don't decrease, adjust and grow, people of God. Because th- this is what I mean, where there's something of a blessing. That in in some ways... You know, I, I, I grew up in a Christian, Christendom was still alive when, when, when I was a lad. I know it's a long time ago, but it didn't take long to shift it. But more or less, people were, thought that they were Christians. If they were atheists, they were Christian atheists. Do you know what I mean? It was the Christian God they didn't believe in. But people, people are not even Christian atheists anymore. They don't believe in anything to do with it, don't understand anything. And that's a good thing. Because fewer and fewer people, oh, no, no, I am a Christian. Fewer and fewer. So actually, those that are Christians are becoming more obvious of who the Christians are and who are not. That makes the gospel a lot better. That a lot of the churches, oh, terrible, all these churches. No, good riddance to them. as, As one church leader said, we don't need church planting, we need church weeding. Because some of the churches have not been faithful to the gospel. Some of them have just been culture centers where Jesus has not been honored. There's a church in Cardiff where uh, the preacher stood up and said, Jesus is going to be more important in this church than anything else, more important than culture, language, history, anything. And a deacon pinned him to the wall. Afterwards, halfway down the aisle, he's going to shake people's hands at the door. And the deacon pinned him to the wall and said, nothing is more important. He didn't say it in this language. Nothing is more important than the language in this church. And he was out within six months. Actually, we, we are the light of the world. We're not, our message is, no, is going to be increasingly not confused with those that have a Christianity that has no power in it. So there is an opportunity without all the formalism and and ritual and nominalism as it was in Jerusalem. So we need to be excited and looking for God to add to us. You can share later. But it, it was God, verse 4, who called them into exile. It is God who blesses and prospers in winter. Isn't that good? I, 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 part of the leadership of Walesworth, I, my, when I put that list of, of places on the wall, I'm not discouraged. 
I, I, I believe that Jesus has built his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, like you. So I, I have every hope that God will clear out the deadwood and new, thing, new growth will shoot. Because it was in exile, it wasn't it? It was in Babylon. That's where Daniel flowered. That's where he stood out as light. That's where Esther had her influence. That's where Ezekiel prophesied. People bringing the gospel, people who settled, adapted, adjusted, infiltrated, and expected to see God work in winter. And may it, may it be just so for us all in this coming week, but it will, I, I'm, I'm finishing, right? so relax. Um, that, that it will, but it will only be so if we're like this, should have brought some blue tack. You, you and I need to be like this. And I've got a friend. Normally, when I mention Pete Hodge, people laugh at me. But I'll mention him anyway. Pete Hodge? <laughs> <Yeah>. <coughs> um, Pete has produced these, these leaflets. And I've spoken to Roger. You're not going to get out the door this morning without somebody giving you one. And I have three reasons for giving you this this morning. Morning, sir. I think you're a Christian, so that's not the reason. If I didn't think you were, because in here is enough to explain how to become a Christian and how you might pray in order to become one. But I think it's too late for you. I think you're in. Right, so, um, so I'm not giving it to you because I'm... I don't think you're a Christian. Um, I'm giving it to you partly so that you can put it in your handbag or whatever that thing is under your seat. And and who knows, this week, that not in the surgery, I know you're not allowed to do that sort of thing, but there might be somebody in the laundrette or wherever you do your work who, and you say, you know, do you have a good Sunday? Well, yeah, it's good. What did you do Sunday morning? And then you're embarrassed, aren't you? Oh, I listened to this idiot. Um, and he, he, was, he was talking about how good things are going to be for the church and, and how wonderful. In fact, he, he gave me this. Why don't you read it and tell me? What, so that's my second reason, because it, it, it just might be Andy. I hope it will be Andy. I hope it, I, I, I hope, I'm sorry to pick on you like this, but you did sit on the front row. Right. It, it just might be really useful, so don't, Use it as a bookmark. But the real reason I'm going to is for homework, Christian. One of the things that concerns Pete and I is how rusty we can become. And when we're, we're, we're playing on the back foot, we're not playing on the playing on the front foot, cricket. And that we need to be sharp. So I'm giving you some homework, Christian. I just want you to read Pete's tract. I just want you to sharpen again what is the gospel. So that when you're in the laundrette or wherever you're in, and, and the opportunity comes, you're not going to be floundering and fluffy and talking about how God loves the whales. You're going to be talking about how Jesus loves them. And even though 
they are alienated and in trouble with God, there's great hope. Jesus has died on the cross to clear our record of wrong. And he loves us so much, he puts life into our lives and transforms our future completely. Being a Christian is wonderful. In the laundrette. Let's pray together. Don't forget your homework when you go home. Lord, in, in some ways we are grateful that we are in winter. That a lot of pests die in winter. And a lot of dead wood drops away. So that things can grow and strengthen in a way they would not otherwise do. We pray for the church. We pray for the city. That Jeremiah told to pray for this. We pray for the city. We pray that you'll help us to be salt and light every waking day, wherever we are, to live and tell the gospel so that people might see good news and hear good news. And we pray that you'll help us to serve people with the good news of Jesus on the front edge. Lord, we pray that these autumn days, these winter days, whatever they are, these days in Babylon will be enormously fruitful days. Pray that many, many, many more lost people will become found people and your church will strengthen. In Jesus' name, amen.